Grab your Bible and um, turn into the New Testament, which is the back half of the book. Or actually, not the back half, the back like eighth of the book. Um, very close to the back. Luke is the fourth or third gospel, I'm sorry. So the first book of the New Testament is Matthew, then Mark, then Luke. We've been in the gospels for a little while because we've been following the story of God for a long time um, since we moved in this building. And we started in Genesis, and we followed it all the way through his own word. And I won't recap it all because everybody here, I think, knows it. But if you don't, you have the book. So you can go back and read it. So we started before the God of creation, and we followed his story. That's what the Bible is. It's not your story. It's not my story. It's not a textbook for you living a great and better life. It's not um, a campaign speech. It's not a self-defense it's a manual. It's, not, it's none of that. It's God's story. It's his life. It's about him. Every time you go to it, you should look for him. And when you see him, it'll start to change the way you live. So I'm not saying it doesn't affect you. 100% affects you. But you've got to do it first by seeing him, not by seeing yourself and then trying to make him look like you. So anyway, we've been following his story. At present, he's on the earth. He's, a, he's born of a virgin. He's here. He's, he's living on the earth, and he is proclaiming God's kingdom is present, and he's giving evidence of that by the fact that he's healing people, and he's literally raising the dead and doing all kinds of miracles. And yet, even still, he's facing demons and he's facing religious leaders that are constantly attacking, as well as others, political leaders, too. Everybody's kind of attacking him. Um, everybody's either following him or attacking him for the most part. So, anyway, this week, though, we come to Luke chapter 10. And again, there's Bibles in the back if you need them. If, if you grab one, take it with you. Keep it. Give it. You know, Dave. I've already got one. It's okay. Give it to somebody else. We have plenty of them. I want them in your hands, uh, and in others' hands too. Luke chapter ten is where we are. And for some of you, this may be a familiar passage. If you've been in any level of church history or Sunday school, you've probably heard it before. Even if you're not, you probably heard the term "Good Samaritan" and had no idea where it came from. Well, it's from Jesus' own mouth, and that's what we're looking at today. So Luke ten twenty five to 29, I'm not going to reread it. She read it for us, but we'll jump into it in just a second. There's a movie uh, you may or may not have seen, and I, I'm not – listen, when I, whenever I use movies or music as reference, y'all can't always – y'all might have to filter me a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes they're not always the best. But this one, Gran Torino, I don't know if y'all have ever seen this yet. Y'all see, man, my man's head pop right up. Clint Eastwood is one of my favorite actors, probably is my favorite actor, so I've always liked his movies. Not all of them are children's movies, <laughs> but but I like them. So anyway, Gran Torino is an, I love the movie, okay? But in the movie, uh, Clint Eastwood plays an, an, an old kind of hardened white man who lives in a neighborhood he, it, that, that he's been in for, we, we don't know how long, but clearly for a very long time in this home uh LA neighborhood and he is a retired auto worker and also a Korean war vet and he has lost his wife and he spends his days pretty much working on his house his car and drinking beer and just being miserable and around him the neighborhood that clearly didn't always look this way has now gone entirely or mostly, or whatever, Asian. 
lots of Asians around him, which for a Korean War vet, that has to be challenging, obviously. And right beside him is a family that's Asian, and they begin to try to communicate and talk to him, but his hatred just continues to put a wall up between the two until one day, and I'm going to tell you the whole story. You can go watch the whole movie if you want, but the point is, at some point in time, an Asian gang attacks the teen girl that lives next door and tries to kind of draw in the teen boy. And whether he intends to or not, Clint Eastwood gets in between that, involves himself and defends the family. The family in turn then loads him down with food and other gifts and everything. And initially he's resistant, but after a while he realizes, wow, this food's really pretty good. And you people are really pretty nice. And before long, they all kind of build a little family together. I won't tell you how the movie ends. But the point is they realize they got more in common with their neighbor than they thought. And one thing I always think about when I see that movie, because I've seen it several times, I mean, it's on TV and stuff, but is you can't choose your neighbor. You can't. I mean, so of course I can't. I can move wherever I want. Yeah, but what stops them from moving in? You, you can't. You say, well, I buy 50 acres. Well, what's who's on the 51st? You still can't. And if it's at home, what about at work? Can't choose who you work, who's your neighbor at work. What about at church? I can tell you right now as pastor of this church, you don't get to choose who your neighbor is here. Uh, neither do I. You know, you can, you can look all around. At some point, you, you don't get to choose who they are. So the ultimate question is not who's your neighbor. It's what kind of neighbor are you? That's, if there's a theme to the whole story, that's it. What kind of neighbor are you to them, especially the ones that are crazy? And we may all have crazy neighbors somewhere or have had them. Uh, I know there's crazy people at work. There's crazy people at church. I'm one of them. I get it. Uh, could you love them? Man, that's a bigger statement, right? Tolerates one thing. But could you love them? And, and the biggest question of all is, does God expect that? That's the big question. So, and I apologize again if my throat cracks or says I sound funny, but we're going to press through, all right? Maybe I sound like rock star. I don't know. Go with it. Thank you, bro. Uh, here's the point to remember. And I always give it to you. Uh, it's on the sheet. It'll be up here on the board. Uh, not scripture, just me giving you a single thought to kind of guide your path through this text. Eternal life doesn't result from a one-time action, but from overflowing love for God that makes loving others a pattern of life. You get that? From an overflowing love of God that makes your pattern of life loving other people. And it's in that order. So look, and again, not that's from the text, not, not me making it scripture. So look at verse 25, and let's jump in here. Luke 20, uh, 10, 25. Behold, a lawyer, that's likely a Pharisee, it's a religious leader. If you were here last week, you've heard this story before. In fact, if you read the Gospels, this this story happens a lot because they're continuing to come after him, these religious leaders um, of the Jews. So when it says lawyer, it's somebody who knows the law of the Jews, like the Old Testament law, the laws of Moses, that kind of lawyer. All right. So this person, a Pharisee, stood up to put him to the test. That's what he's there for. Wherever this setting, it doesn't tell us exactly where this setting is, but wherever this setting is, he is testing Jesus, saying, teacher... Rabbi, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? That's almost like sarcasm. You know what it says. 
What do you make of it? You're a lawyer. You know the law. You know, what do you make of it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you answer correctly, do this and you will live. Uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That sound familiar? Uh, same question we looked at last week. That rich young ruler guy. Same question. This is not the same guy. But the question's the same. But remember, it's a time period. That's a popular question. How do I get to heaven? How do I get to, how do I get salvation? How do I get forgiveness? I don't know. It's a popular question. How do I gain eternal life? That was a popular question of the day. So people, why would they not ask him? You know, so this guy's coming again. But remember, he's coming to test. But he's coming to ask him why. Uh, and maybe it's based on here. Maybe he heard that conversation from last week. That was another lawyer. That was another that rich young ruler was a religious ruler, a Pharisee. So it could be that this dude heard that conversation last week. When Jesus answered him about the law, and now he's kind of done a little research, or maybe this is a buddy of his, and he came back and told him, I don't know, I'm, I, we don't know that. But either way, this guy's aware, and he comes back, and he's kind of set up what he's going to say. Maybe he picks the right time to catch Jesus, and he asks the same question the other guy asks, because now he knows how Jesus is going to respond with the law. With keeping the law, and he's got his answer ready, and his answer is dead on. He nails it. Like, and he's quoting scripture. You may not know this, but Deuteronomy six five. I'm not reading it to you. You can look it up in your own time. But that's, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That that's the verse. And Leviticus nineteen eighteen is love your neighbor as yourself. That didn't get added in the New Testament. That was in the Old Testament. Leviticus nineteen eighteen says love your neighbor as yourself. So he's quoting those two. And it's interesting he brings those two up. It's possible that he's also repeating Jesus' own words at him. Jesus had already said earlier in Matthew that these two verses, in Matthew 22, Jesus said these two verses sum up all of the law. Loving God and loving people, loving your neighbor, that that's the summation of the law. So he may even have known that. So of all the things he could have said, he pulled those two out. Maybe, and I'm, I'm, I may, maybe I, I need to give this guy more benefit of the doubt. But because it says he came to put him to the test, it sounds to me like he's prepared all this. He knows how Jesus is going to reply, and he also knows what Jesus wants to hear. You understand what I'm saying by that? Like, he's heard Jesus say the greatest commandments uh, are these two, and that on these two commandments all the laws and prophets depend. So he set up his challenge. But Jesus points out two things here. Don't miss this, right, what we looked at. He points out two things. One, he says, you answered correct. Remember the question, how do I inherit eternal life? You answer, your answer's right. Dude, great. Like, you know the law and you interpret it correctly. But that's no guarantee. Because number two is do this. Then you'll live. Do this, then you'll live. He didn't just say, yep, you got it right, you're good here. He said, do this, then you'll live. Knowing the Bible's not enough. I love the Word of God more than anything. And if you spend any time with me, I hope you know that. I love it. It's not enough. 
Studying the Bible is not enough. I know you, I sound like a heretic up here. This man right here knew it better than you do. I promise you that. He knew it better than I do. I promise you that. I can just about guarantee you, especially if he was a Pharisee, that he had the Old Testament memorized. How much you got memorized? I guarantee you. So, so reading the Bible, studying the Bible, knowing the Word of God is not enough to just know it. That's what Jesus is saying. You gotta do it. And he's not talking about obeying laws. He's not talking about the do's and don'ts, because this guy was already doing that too. Yep, I'm checking that box. Yep, I'm checking it. Yep, I don't do that. Yep, I do that. That's not the question. The true evidence of living the word, doing it, is love. That's the evidence. That's what he's saying. And we may claim to love God. Yeah, man, I love God. Man, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. But do you actively love other people? I mean, even strangers. Not talking about obviously being weird and putting yourself in bad situations. You know what I mean? I'm going to tell you right now, you can't love God and not love other people. It's not, it's not possible. It, biblically speaking, it's not possible. Now, you can, you can not love other people, but you can't turn around and say you love God. Can't, can't, those two can't be compatible. They don't work. And it might be little at first, but the more you grow in love with the Lord, the more that's going to happen. Why? Because it's what it says in his word. He loves people. How do you know he loves people? I know you got one verse memorized, whether you know it or not. And it starts out answering that question. What's the one verse everybody's got memorized? Yeah, for what? For God so loved the world. You're part of that, that he sent his only son. So he loves you. He loves people. He loves people. You're a people. I'm a people. (laughs) He loves people. You can't hate my wife and say you love me. If if that's a shocker to you, let me just unwind that for you. That's not possible. We ain't buds if you hate my wife. Sorry. You, You can't hate my kid. You can't say, man, I love Dave, man, he's awesome, man, we're great, man, his, his daughter's a piece of trash, though. I, I, it makes me want to punch somebody saying that right now, and nobody even said that, I just, that was hypothetical. It's not, it's not possible. You, you can't turn around and say these things. You can't love God and avoid people or decide who you're going to care about. It's not, it's not in there. So look what he says. He says, what must I do? Now you get a quick Greek lesson. What must I do? Do, when he says it in Greek, is in the aorist tense. What that means is he's saying a one-time action. What's the one thing I can do that will carry an eternal impact? Jesus dying on the cross, that action was in the tense of aorist. It was a one-time act. He died on the cross and it carried salvation forever. This guy wants to know the same thing. What's the one thing I can do that will guarantee I have life eternally? And Jesus... Flips it, because when Jesus responds, he says, do this and you will live. The word do when Jesus says it is in a different tense. It's in a present active tense. In other words, be doing this and you will live. On and on, day in and day out, not as a burden, but be doing 
this. Look at verse 29. But this guy, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? Jesus says he, he's answered correctly here. Because heart is at the center of both of those commandments. Love is at the center of both of those commandments. Loving God and in doing so, the expression of that will be loving people. But this man needs now to qualify which people? Which people? And that displays that God is not connected to his heart. At least not yet. Jesus could have responded real matter-of-factly. He could have said, here it is, like this, boom. But instead... True Jesus fashion. He tells a story. It's actually his story that he tells here is a very common approach to illustrating something. It's a very common approach. Not not to be totally crass here, but it's almost like saying three men went into a bar. Blankety, blankety, blank. You know what I'm saying? You're telling a joke. In this case, this is a very common approach. Three people. X, this is the way it goes. So you have four in this case. You have an injured victim of a violent robbery. All right. And then there's three types of people. We're going to read it. But then there's three types of people here who encounter this guy and they're descending in importance. Number one, you have a priest who is the highest level of importance, the most elite, um, a chosen group within a family. Can't get more elite than the priests among the people of Israel. And then you had a Levite, which was a more broad picture. That was the family that the priests come from, but not a priest. It would serve in the temple. But they were much broader, more common, because anybody born of Levi was a Levite. All right. And then typically, in this story, you have the priest, you have the Levite, you would have the Jews, or a Jew, or an Israelite. Because you're, you're descending, right? The, the most elite, a little less elite, the regulars. But Jesus drops a grenade. Instead of that, what you would expect. He drops a bomb and he says a Samaritan is number three. We talked about that. If you were here and we did the woman at the well and all that, I'm not going to go back into the history of it. You can look it up. It's in Second Kings. This is the lowest level of person to the Jews. Um, dogs, they considered them in a lot of ways. They were mixed race. And I, again, I'm not going to go all the way back into that. You can go back and listen to the video or read it yourself. But. For him to pull that one up was, even saying it was almost like a slap. And remember, this is a Pharisee. So this is a big dog that he's talking to. Look at verse 30. Jesus says, read it. Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This road is a long, windy road. I, I haven't seen this road, but I have been to Jerusalem and Jericho and it's straight up a wall. Uh, it's straight up a wall. It's 3,300 feet. It's 17 miles. In this case, it was pretty notorious for thieves because they had plenty of places to hide out in the rocks. So even though he's telling a illustrative story here, they would have understood the reality of that road and the danger of it. So verse 31. Now by chance, so, so this guy's beaten, stripped, half dead. Uh, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Dodge that. Verse 32. So likewise, in the same way, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. 
pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii. Denarii is a day's wages. So whatever you make in a day, he took out that times two. And he gave them to the innkeeper and he said, take care of him and whatever more you spend in doing that, I'll repay when I come back. Now, people tend to really mine deep, deep, deep into this. And we're going to look at some stuff, but you, you don't don't mine in it so deep that you miss the very blunt message. Because this is supposed to be a very blunt, in-your-face point. And, and if you just stop a minute and think, I feel like everybody gets it automatically to some degree. All right, but, but let's look at it a little bit. What is, Jesus, when he brings this guy up, what does he tell you about the guy that's been stripped and beaten and hurt? Nothing. Is he a priest? Was he was he a Jew? Was he a Samaritan? Was he a doesn't doesn't matter? Was he black? Was he white? Was he Mexican? Was he native? Was he rich? Was he poor? Was he powerful? Was he not? Was he a politician? Was he a criminal? No idea who he was. It doesn't make any difference who he is. Listen, if you if you don't start there, this whole thing can go crazy. Start right there. It doesn't make any difference who this person is. Makes no difference. What does having compassion look like? When that Samaritan comes by and says he had compassion. The Greek word is like this inward affection or pity. But it's inside. We might call that character or, or heart. It's inside. Like there's no obligation. This to do. don't even have to think about it. There's no like pause and what would Jesus do moment here. You know what I'm saying? Like there is a in something in him that just makes him need to care for this guy. Like my brother, man, it's the things that would make you run into a fire. You know, it's something inside of him that sees somebody hurting here and has to do something. That's what that compassion is. You ever driven past somebody who's homeless or walking in the rain? I'm not, this is not shame hour. I'm just talking. Have you ever driven past somebody who's homeless or walking in the rain? Or maybe they got the, you know, the busted tire on the side of the road or the freeway or whatever. Um, and I know everybody's got cell phones now and all these other things. So, so we tend to not want to get involved. We don't want to freak somebody out and stop or whatever it is. But but the good thing is, have you ever done that and then for just a minute, like, you feel like, man, I really need to stop. I really need to stop and help. I really should. If so, that's good. That's called, that's what this word is. Compassion. It's something inside you that says, I need to stop a minute. Now, the, now if you don't, all right, if you don't. If you consistently don't, especially if you overpower that compassion, then you might be more like this lawyer than the Samaritan. I'm not judging you. I'm reading the text. All right. And you may say, well, do we always have? Am I supposed to stop for every homeless person? Am I supposed to stop for everybody who's walking in the rain? Should I help every whatever? If you're asking that question, you're probably more like this lawyer than the Samaritan. I'm not going to answer that question. All right, I just process it. I'm not trying to answer that question. The Samaritan here probably tears his own clothes. Now, this is not a real life. This is Jesus giving a scenario. But in Jesus' scenario, this Samaritan probably 
tears his own clothes or pulls fabric off of the seat of his horse. I, I don't know. Whatever he's doing, he's finding his own fabric to wrap this dude. He's not a doctor walking with a first aid kit. Uh, probably tears his own fabric to wrap and bind his wounds. He's got his own wine that he's pouring on it, almost like we would pour alcohol over a wound, like an antiseptic. He's putting oil on there. That's to kind of soothe the burn or the hurt or whatever's, you know, however it applies. It's his own stuff, you know. Then he puts him on his own horse. What is that? Or I'm, we don't, he says animal, but we could assume. Let's call it a horse, call it a donkey, whatever. What does that mean he's doing? Walking. Remember, this is a 3,300-foot wall for 17 miles. So it's not like he's just strolling along. He's walking now down the Grand Canyon. You know what I mean? Walking. And on top of that, he brings him to help and then at his own expense guarantees the guy's safety. As if he hadn't done enough, guarantees the guy's safety. And here's the killer. What's his reward? Another thing that gets left out of this, what does he get for it? He said, when I come back, odds are that dude don't even, he don't even get a thank you out of the guy. You see what I'm saying? He dropped him off, paid for it, and left. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said, when I come back, I'll take care of the bill. Man, nothing for it. And I'm going to tell you, this is hard. This is a sad thing because even in churches today, and and I'm a pastor and we're a church, but even in churches today, so much of it's about what's the payoff. Like, what's the ROI? What do I get for my time? Uh, Okay, we'll do it, but make sure we get it all over the Internet so we can get as many likes as we can get so we can get this, that, or the other thing. Or I'll come volunteer, sure, fine, but make sure that everybody knows I volunteered. Or the church, we'll go out here and we'll do this and we'll do that in the city. But we want to make sure everybody sees us, so we're going to wear all our, all our shirts and wave our flag and make sure everybody knows who we are doing it. Because maybe they'll go on the Internet and see it's us. And and what? Thank you. Really appreciate you. Everything you did. Am I saying you shouldn't get thanks? No. But it shouldn't come from them. Right? Aren't you looking for the praise of Aren't you looking for the praise of the Lord? Don't you want the Father to go, man, Josh, you did good, son. I'm proud of you. Dude, I would trade anything that happens in this city for that. Like, that that's what I want to see happen. Not, I love you guys, but I don't need y'all to say, man, you did a great sermon. I need the Lord to say, I'm proud you did well today. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, look where he goes on. Verse 36. Which of these three, <clears throat> excuse me, he says, which of these three do you think he pr- Proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And like the start here, Jesus asked him to evaluate and answer for himself. And funny enough, the lawyer won't even say the word Samaritan here. He's still so tanked about this that he just says the one who showed mercy. I guess it's that guy. And then Jesus tells this Jewish, highly religious lawyer to go do the same as a Samaritan. Even allegorically, I bet that slapped him in the mouth. Even allegorically, I bet he was ticked about it. Go and do as the Samaritan in the story. 
And remember what this account started over, who is my neighbor that I should love like myself? And the question is, he's seeking a legal answer, right? Well-defined answer. Just tell me outright, Jesus. Jews. Jews are your neighbor. That's who you love. Holy people. Holy people are your neighbor. That's who you love. Just give me an answer. That's all I need. Zealous people are your neighbor. That's who you love. Committed people are your neighbor. Law-abiding people. That's your neighbor. Uh, you know, the people that you go to church with. That's your neighbor. The people that sit beside you in church. That's your neighbor. The people who care about you. That's your neighbor. I, I don't know. Just give me an answer. Everybody. I don't care. Give me an answer. Why do you think Jesus' answer is with a story, though? Because the story gets your heart. I mean, go back to Gran Torino. I mean, maybe it's horrible that I'm connecting Gran Torino to the Bible. But if you go back to that, I mean, I can tell you this old man should love his Asian neighbors regardless of the Korean War. Check. Or you can watch that and fight off tears at times. You know what I'm saying? That, that's what he's doing. Jesus' answer here is amazing. Like I was talking to Josh about it this week. It's just been blowing my mind a little bit thinking about it. The guy says, who is my neighbor? Jesus' answer is go and do the same. It's not the Samaritan. It's not the wounded guy. It's not the what. It's not. That's just to illustrate. The question is, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' answer is go and do the same. It's a hard issue. It's not a do not or a do. It's neither of those. It's not about who is your neighbor. It's about you, bro. If you have to ask who's your neighbor, you already got a problem. It's not about who your neighbor is. It's about you. If you truly love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then your heart is going to be drawn to hurting people. Your heart is going to be drawn to lonely people. Your heart is going to be drawn to quiet people. Your heart is going to be drawn to loud people. And you might find yourself going, wow, this is going to be a struggle. But you still get pulled that way because he loves you. The point, the key here is love means nothing if it's just words on paper. And I think most and, and I, men, women can both attest to this, but I think women can get there a whole lot quicker. Love means nothing if it's just words on paper. You send me a text, love you, babe. You know, that that I might appreciate that, but I mean, it, it, is that is that actually love? Love means nothing if it's just words on paper. It's only love when it gets expressed. When it's happening, that's the only time it becomes love. That's all. So how are we doing that? How are we doing with that? I mean, all of us. I mean, how are we doing with that? You say you love the Lord. Do you love people? And the real test is a really easy way to find this out. Would people categorize you that way? Would peep other people say, well, Molly loves the Lord and Molly loves people. She loves being around people. She loves something. Would, would other people say that about you? Let me close this up and point back to Jesus' statement here in the beginning when he said, do this and you'll live. Eternal life begins before death. Notice he didn't say do this and when you die you'll have eternal life. He said do this. The guy said, how do I have eternal life? He said do this and you'll live. So eternal life begins before 
before the act of death even hit you. If this man truly honored these commandments, then life would already dwell in him. The love of God in him. That's life. That's life. That life is eternal. It doesn't come as a result of not messing up. It doesn't come as a result of making sure that you obey everything. Why? Because love is not a product of obedience and perfection. Is it? Take it out of God and think about the people you love in your life. Are they obedient to you? (laughs) Are they perfect? You still love them, right? Think about your kids. I don't know. Think about your husband, your wife. Think about your parents, whoever it is. I love that. I think this is one of those things about David that I really loved. Uh, or that, that, well, I, I, my brain started to think about. There is, you know, the story of David, David, who, um, I'm trying to think of the quote, and that's why it's messing me up. But either way, you know the story or the wording said of David that he's a man after God's own heart, right? King David in the Bible was called a man after God's own heart. All right. So, what, how is that? She was singing the song a few minutes ago. We all were. And it was quoting Psalm 51, you know, where he said, creating me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. That's Jesus. I mean, that's the David having cheated with Bathsheba. You read David's story, that dude screwed up epically on multiple occasions. How can he be a man after God's own heart? I'll tell you why I think it is. Because he never loved anybody else. Even that song, he goes back to God or the psalm that that song is quoting, he goes back to God and he says, against you and you only have I sinned. He's the only king that never turns to any other God, that never goes any direction. He knows no matter how bad he's messed up, he still has to go back to him because there is nobody else. And he loves the Lord. That That's a amazing picture of love and when you have that kind of love for him guess what you're going to love your neighbor and not have to pre-qualify him you're not going to have to pre-qualify what kind of person they are and godly love for our neighbor listen and i'm closing here it often comes with cost sacrifice expects nothing in return i've already looked at all this and it's never Based on the person being loved, but on the one who chooses to extend it. If you get the picture of the story here. And before you think that's a lot to swallow, don't forget that that's what Jesus did for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he shows his love. Christ shows his love in that he dies for us. Stand up with me and we're going to wrap this up. And, and uh, I ask you guys kind of to close your eyes. And again, not to hide anything. We're going to have the musicians come back up. We're going to do another song. It's not about that. It's about a time to kind of focus your mind a minute and process what you think you need to process from the word of God. Not from me, from the word of God. And, and also to hear from the Holy Spirit like Is there something that's in your life that needs to be dealt with? Who do you feel like in the story? Think about it a minute and be honest because nobody's listening but you. That's why your eyes are closing, your mouth's closed. Be honest. 
You like one of these faithful religious guys that might dodge the other side more often than not? I mean, when it comes to hurting people or or if it looks like it's going to be a lot of work, I mean, we might be not saying this every time, but we might be more common to where we're dipping. Or maybe, you know, you're not like overly self-righteous. You're, you know, you come to church, you do your thing pretty good. You're, you're a believer in Christ and all, but you just don't really pay a whole lot of attention to the needs of others. I don't know. Time to evaluate your heart. Ask yourself. And, and, and the one question you need to answer is how much do you love the Lord? Not your neighbor. How much do you love the Lord? How hungry are you to know more of him, to be close to him, to be in his word? Because if you are, I can guarantee you the neighbor thing will get worked out pretty quick. Maybe you feel like you're the robbed, beaten guy. Maybe you feel like life has just thrown grenades on you and hammers and kicked you and pushed you to the point that you're nearly a death. And you need that one person who will come pick you up, bind your wounds, love you, soothe what hurts, give you a break, let you ride on his horse, take you to a place where you're cared for. That one person is Jesus. And this story is not illustrating him, but that's what he does. And if you don't know him today, that's where it starts right now, today. You just got to admit that to him. I'm broken, Jesus. I'm bleeding, Jesus. I am beaten, Jesus. I tap. I'm done. You can have me. I'll do whatever you say. I'll go wherever you want. Just guide my life. Teach me to love you. Teach me to love others. It'll be the easiest thing you do and the hardest thing you do. Lord, I love you. I thank you for each person that's here today. And uh, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word, even with a messed up throat. But I, I thank you for the privilege of having it in my hand. But, God, we all have your word. You've given it to all of us. Everybody in this room has access to it and a responsibility, if they're a believer, to carry it. And I pray we treat that with great respect and we share it with others. But I also pray, Lord, today that we don't ever become so full of preaching, proclaiming, teaching your word that we forget to love people. To take time to bind wounds, to take time to heal, even when it costs us. Help us all to do that. And if somebody's new to their faith today, God, I pray you encourage them to come share that with me, Josh, or anyone else here who knows you and loves you. Help us guide them uh, into discipleship. We love you, Lord, and we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.